0: to the final episode in an old series of your time on the run the hunted podcast from reality tv warriors my name is michael Holmstone, and joining me as always is my fellow brit who's regularly accused of lying lying through his teeth anthony williams hello and the lady who keeps her children quiet by telling them to stay still in a darkened room michelle pierce (laughs) denovan hello hello good morning it is our final episode of the season after about three years of this recording
1: (laughs) oh my goodness
0: Bearing in mind, we did start recording this the day after this episode actually came out, and now we're finally releasing it
1: <laughs> six years later. Yeah, right.
0: I was saying this to Anne, um before we started. It's really weird to actually finally finish this series after over two months.
2: Yep. <laughs> yeah,
0: but it's been a fun two months, Michael. It has. It's been fun revisiting this series. It's just one of them where I go, God, it's taken us a while. This actually took us longer to record than most Amazing Race seasons do when we're watching them live.
1: (laughs) Oh dear.
0: And as we were saying before we started recording, this is just a plain odd episode. It's an odd episode in
2: an odd series though, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a really peculiar episode and I know we've used the word odd far too many times in this series already, but it's just a really peculiarly told episode. It goes back to our theory from last week of... Were all these episodes edited in different weeks by different people? Yeah.
2: But mm. it was inevitable because they've painted themselves into a corner by the way that they've done the first five episodes. If they'd have done that differently, we could have had any number of teams getting
0: caught this week if they wanted to. Or alternatively, instead of referencing Dr. Ricky Allen, maybe you just get him captured. Yep. Anyway, previously, 14 fugitives went on the run, Emily and Lauren had a rocky start, but it was Ricky's start that drew all our attention in the first three episodes. Sandra and Elizabeth took a bus tour around the south coast, but were Nick and Danny's first victims. Freddie and Jackie asked the spirit world for help, but were captured thanks to a fake tip-off from another team, Harinder and Davinda, who just couldn't stop ringing home and were left holed up in Glasgow. Adam Young, who would lead the people, crossed the wrong barmaid as she grasped him up out of spite, but his six hours spent in a tree allowed him to stay on the run for 14 days. Ember and Adam had a secret that Blex exposed, but their tactic to split as the Hunters closed in didn't pay off as they were caught on day 18. Dr Ricky Allen evaded and taunted the Hunters for nearly three weeks, but a stupid decision, or was it a surrender, saw all of HQ descend on Euston to witness the capture and genesis of the catchphrase we know and love. Now just four fugitives are left, Emily and Lauren, who split after their fets was decided, and Stephen and Martin, who have stayed away from the Hunters and our screens by cycling the highways and byways of the UK. Now, I did reference this last week, and we talked about this off-air in episode one, but this entire series was spoiled by production themselves in that pre-episode montage. Because, as I said last week, there are quite a lot of scenes we haven't seen from this, and we saw a lot of them last week. But one of the ones that we didn't see until this week was Emily and Lauren running for the plane with GoPros on their chests. Yes. Yeah. And it's been in the pre-titles every week. And this isn't the only series that they have done this, because they did it in the HQ Win series with Frank running up the ramp in Birmingham. That mm. was in the three episodes montage as well. And the problem is, they spoil the rest of the series for you, if you know what sort of stuff you're looking for. Very strange.
2: I mean, less so on this one, because there's no track record, is there? And it, it could have been a scene from any other part, I suppose.
0: It could, But the problem is, you end up with a situation where until you see them wearing GoPros, you know they're going to be safe. And until you see them being together again, you know they're going to be safe. Mm. Yes. Chances are, they're going to be safe until you see them wearing GoPros running hand in hand. Which is, you know, 11.50am on the 31st of May.
2: Talking of stuff that's in the, the beginning... Did I miss the scene of Emily in the shop when she sticks her finger up to the CCTV that's at the beginning of every episode?
0: Yes.
2: I don't remember that actually cropping up.
0: No, I remember it from 2015 when I was watching this, and I had it in my mind that we saw her do that, but we obviously don't.
2: No, I can't recall that her being in a shop and doing that, but it's in, at the beginning of every episode. But I had I had the same memory of I thought it happened at some point.
0: Yeah, it definitely wasn't in the episodes we watched, and all but one of those was actually from the Channel 4 airing of it. The only one we didn't was this one, which didn't have a Channel 4 logo on it, weirdly. So I don't know whether it was just cut from this.
1: Why would it be cut? Why would it be cut? Uh, Maybe
0: we just misremembered. Yeah, I I really had it in my mind that we would eventually see Emily give the finger to the camera, but obviously we didn't. How interesting. We must have misremembered it then. It's weird that we both misremember things, though. (laughs) That is odd. It's very odd. (laughs) This might be a Frank Hornby situation where we both misremember things. Yeah, it could be. It doesn't happen Uh, often. Ah, well. So we begin three weeks into the hunt, recapping the ten captures so far, but we begin this episode proper with Martin and Stephen, who have remained undetected, using Martin's IT skills and Stephen's plumbing skills to get bikes to travel around the UK on. And Blex decides to freeze their bank accounts... They haven't withdrawn any money since day one, so that could bring them out of the woodwork. Conveniently, it does. They are in Oswestry in Shropshire, and Stephen hitches a lift in a van to get to an ATM. He finds out that there is no money in their account, and HQ get the ping at 12.30pm on May 23rd, which is day 21 of the hunt, so this is, for the first time all series, actually accurate. (laughs) And HQ, interestingly, received the ping 21 minutes later.
2: Uh, I I do love it when they they coincidentally do exactly
0: the thing that they're predicting they're going
2: to do. It
0: always makes me chuckle. I know this episode is odd, but this is probably the most modern-style hunted episode of The Six, I would say.
2: It is. It is, where they tease something up and then immediately you see it.
0: Yeah, you see the payoff immediately. But this is the sort of thing where, nowadays, sounding like an old man here, nowadays, if this aired (laughs) on Hunted, people would go, oh, you can't do that, it's so against the rules. They wouldn't do that in real life. And it's like, a, yeah, they would. And B, this is from series one, guys. Mm. <laughs> this is like basic things that they would do is try and freeze you out to make you pop your head above ground and then capture you and send you to black site.
2: <laughs> I do love the fact, though, that they're just like, oh, no money. Oh, well. <laughs> it's great. They're so chill. <laughs> I know. They're, they're fantastic. There's no point on their journey that you ever think... Nah, they're not going to make it. <laughs> you get the occasional, yeah. I'm missing my family. And that's about it. They're, they're always going to get there, I think.
0: Yeah, I went into this series sort of remembering Stephen and Martin as being the prototype Knicks, just going on the canals, just befriending everyone, being really nice, not being shown much until you do things. Just getting the occasional, fight with the swan content, and then just going out of these episodes. But They are a bigger part of the four episodes they're in than I remember, and Stephen especially is a bigger part Mm. of those four episodes than I remember him being. Martin still doesn't get much content, but Stephen gets quite a lot of content. And I wonder whether that's just a side effect of Stephen's girlfriend actually cooperating with the show or not. We don't really hear any mention of Martin's girlfriend until this episode when she's actually relevant. (laughs) No. No, I get the sense she wasn't that keen to be involved at all. So HQ get the CCTV on the ATM and work out the hired minibus connection. Stephen and Martin say it's a bit harder, luckily, to get the driver's information as so many people can drive that van. And we get an immediate cut to HQ getting the information using cell site data. And then Mark arrives at the pub and sees a camera on the canal, confirming a sighting and direction of travel from the canals. And Brett is impressed with their resourcefulness.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great tactic. We've talked about this, I think, every year that we've covered it. You know. It's- Stay off the beaten track, but most importantly, don't get in touch with people that you've got connections with and it's really hard to track you down.
1: I mean, someone's used the canals every year now Mm. and it's such a good way to to, um, get around. But it was funny to hear the the hunters for the first time say, oh, they're using the canals,
2: okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you think fugitives are discouraged from using the canals now? I wouldn't have thought they're discouraged, but... I suppose it's more obvious a place for them to look now. Yes. Because I think on balance, it is more boring television when they use the canals.
1: Yeah,
2: it is. But I think they introduce more and more things that mean you can't just stay on the canals. So you've got to go and see some friends or you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Nobody can stay under the radar as much as Stephen and Martin did anymore.
0: No, Mm. not even a chance. So Stephen and Martin are on a campsite in Wem. They're washing their clothes for the first time in three weeks. While they wait, Stephen patrols the campsite on his bike. He says he's struggling with being away from family again, and Martin also gives his first confessional basically ever, saying he's missing his girlfriend, his dog, and everything about his life. The cyber team, mainly Doug, try and hack Martin's girlfriend's Twitter, assuming correctly that they are using Twitter to communicate. And this is one of those things, I think, where Doug probably tried everything and then realised that social media could be helpful for them here. And then they stumbled upon them actually using Twitter.
2: Yeah, it seems to be so far into the hunt that by the time they get it, it's not a lot of use anyway, is it really?
0: No, I think they probably were looking at her emails and her texts and anything else and then eventually thought, hmm, she seems quite prolific on social media. Let's just try and hack her social media. And then Doug realised there were DMs there and it's like, Oh, that's interesting. Let's just go back and quickly refilm. Uh, oh, we might hack her Twitter because we think she might be communicating that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a reverse-engineered scene, I think. This one, I would imagine so. Yeah, and I'm so going to get firebombed by Doug for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Doug does hack it and sees the direct message conversation. It's very weird to see the old format of Twitter and Facebook in this episode as well. I have to say, <laughs> yes. I'm so used to the new layouts. <laughs> I know, it's only six years ago. It's amazing how different things look. It's like how someone has 19 notifications on their Facebook when Blex is looking at one of the accomplices later, and it's like, how have you got 19 notifications? (laughs) Clear it down, for goodness sake. (laughs) I
1: sometimes do. I sometimes have, like, 28 notifications.
0: Yeah, but you have a ridiculous Facebook group to admin. You don't count.
1: Well, yes, okay.
0: (laughs) You get tagged in everything on there. Oh, my God, I do. So we move back to Emily and Lauren, who went on the run 20 days ago, but split after two weeks on the run. Emily went home under the hunter's noses. She says she's never finished anything, so getting to the end is important for her. She's in a campsite in Seven Oaks and manages to convince someone to take her in in Dartford. Which isn't far from where Freddie and Jackie ever on. This is not the first time we've seen Dartford, this series. No, that's true.
2: She's still, still doing a good job, Emily, isn't she? You know, she's... She seems to have kind of got herself back together again.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, this is what I mean about this episode feeling like the most modern hunted episode of the series, because in any other series, I don't think they would portray Emily in the way they did in the first five episodes. No. They probably wouldn't show nearly as much of her breakdowns and uncomfortable bits. Whereas this episode, we actually get a redemption arc of sort for Emily, where she actually finds her groove, is very successful, stays away from them despite certain people's best efforts. This is the episode, I think, that encapsulates what Emily's story probably should have been. Mm. You can still show all the her breaking down, her going and seeing Ernest and all that sort of stuff, but the lens that they put it through in the first five episodes made her just seem whiny and obnoxious and awful.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you're right. And in this episode, she's just Kind of normal hunted fugitive level of paranoid, you know, just as you'd expect someone less close to the end of, of the race. Race. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: the race. <Yeah. laughs>
0: it's not your time and the race is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not to say that Emily isn't a really compelling character in the first five episodes. It's just, as I've said a few times, her story would never be told in that way in any other series because. It's genuinely heartbreaking at certain points, some of the emotions that she's going through.
1: Just troubling to watch it.
0: Yeah, I don't think that they would tell her story in the same way in series two, three, four, five, or hopefully 6 will be filmed by the point this comes out. She feels in this episode more like she has her shit together mm-hmm. than she did in the first five episodes. And I don't know whether that's just an effect of going seeing Ernest under the hunter's nose and all that sort of stuff, despite... Obviously, the ramifications for Ernest, potentially. I don't know whether that lit a fire under her to go, actually, I'm pretty good at this. But we don't get the, the connection between those two things to go, why is Emily actually coming across as a competent fugitive in this episode? No. So HQ monitor Emily's friends and family's phones. Dr. Steve Hersey, assistant to the chief, finds a call to Ernest's father from a lady called Dawn Blackmore, who is the one who took Emily in. Blex asks for cell site data to find out where Dawn's phone is. Dawn is going to drive Emily to a new hideout, which is her daughter's house in Canterbury. She's concerned that Dawn keeps getting calls from unknown numbers and thinks it could be the hunters. And then HQ get the location data on Dawn's phone. David Blakely's team are sent to track her down, but then gets stuck in a traffic jam. Emily arrives at Marnie's house, and her and her flatmates are out for the day. Alarm
1: bells, alarm bells. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think Marnie and her flatmate might be the point where Michelle goes, stupid, this episode.
1: Get out of there! Don't go and get a cup of tea!
0: (laughs) So the phone stopped somewhere near East train station and HQ assumed that it's a drop-off and she got on the train. They are wrong. And then we move to her friend Lauren, who has disappeared from the Hunter's radar. Intern Simon says she's triggered no CCTV, no ATMs, absolutely nothing. And Brett says that although it works. That's just staying in a darkened room. And, you know, she should try and make their jobs a little bit more fun, at least. <laughs> but that's the thing. In this series, it doesn't matter. Lauren can get away with doing this. She
2: can, and she's she's chilling out with Angela and Beryl. She's having a lovely time.
0: Lauren really feels in this episode like she is comfortable as a fugitive now.
1: Oh, definitely. But she's she's got some good friends. And she's got a good place to stay. So... She's happy.
0: She might be the character of the episode for me, actually, in terms of her being really comfortable, just enjoying her time on the run, not being properly paranoid, but just having fun Ooh. and really enjoying just the adventure, which is what all 14 people basically got into this show for, was the the adventure. It wasn't for money, because obviously there is no prize money. It's just for the, the challenge and the adventure. And by this point, Lauren is... The only one, really, that we've not seen be really freaked out by stuff.
2: Yeah, we had had the clown episode, but that was was as far off the scale as she went. And then we get some more weird,
0: oh, if
2: only we had some Ricky Allen in this episode. Yeah, just put him in anyway. It's just
0: random. (laughs) It goes back to what I was saying last week when I did that rather long rant. Believe me, I've edited the episode now. That rather long rant where we were talking about who should have been in each episode. If you'd done what I had said and had Ricky at the start of this episode getting caught, you're literally only referring back to last week's episode when he sees the poster and gets spooked.
2: Yeah. Instead, we have to just get repeat shots of him picking up the paper and stuff. It's like, if you wanted him to be in episode six, don't catch him three episodes ago then.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Instead, we refer back 21 days in the airing of this series. But yeah, HQ decide to launch a targeted wanted poster campaign on all four remaining fugitives, and it is confirmed that there is a £250 reward again. Stephen and Martin get a tip-off on their Twitter about the profile pictures changing to the wanted poster. Martin hides their location using a VPN, and they are alarmed but Stephen is determined. Lauren gets shown a poster by Beryl, it was handed out in the town that she's hiding out near, and the top line of all the posters is blurred to hide the fact that this show is called The Search. Mhm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hmm. Um, How on earth does HQ get his Facebook login password?
0: They took his electronics because they found them in Sadia's home in episode three, I think it was, maybe episode four. So they have Hmm. his electronics. If Doug can hack the password to his laptop, which Doug probably can hack the uh, the password to his laptop, then more than likely he's got auto-logging on, or he'll have it saved in his browser, or maybe... They just asked Sadia for the passwords. Yeah.
2: Most people stay logged in, don't they? Yeah, I
0: do. There's very little chance that they were actually going to have to do much hacking to get his Facebook password, being honest.
1: But when it's saved on your browser, it's just little stars. It's not the actual whatever it is. And I can't imagine them opening up his computer at headquarters. Oh, no, they would. Would they?
0: Yeah, they'd open up his computer because they'd want to see if there was any documents saved on there or a search history.
1: Oh, yeah, but, but in subsequent episodes, like changing the Facebook profile, I, I would assume they'd do it on their own computers, but no, they don't need to.
0: No, they don't need to. I would just literally do it on his laptop if I were them. It's less messing around.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You just send him the picture file.
1: Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll
0: plug in a USB with the picture file on it and just stick it on there. So, yeah, Lauren's also shown the picture by Beryl. And then Steven and Martin donate their bikes to the Sally Army and decide to change tactics for the first time all series and walk the rest of the way. With 48 hours left to go, the final four are told that they will have to get to a particular extraction point at the end of the run to escape once and for all, at the same time. Brett is told that they will be doing this as well, but absolutely no more information, and they have until 12pm on May 31st to capture everyone to stop them escaping. HQ then speculate on what the extraction method will be, and Blex is pretty gung-ho about it being River. He treats them like proper fugitives. They are going from the Thames, and they're just going to go into international waters. And I'm like, yeah, they obviously have the budget for a private jet for, you know, a ten-minute flight or whatever, but I'm not sure that they would take them into international waters. If it's anything like the American one, they take them up in the air to get the shots, they then take them back down again to the same airport.
1: Yes. Given that
2: the aircraft that they use is based at... Dun-dun-dun, Fair Oaks Airport in Surrey. I think that might be what happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably a leisure flight more than anything else. It's just to get the beautiful shots of them taking off at midday. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so the extraction point is a plane from Fair Oaks Airport in Surrey. Once the plane takes off, they are free and have won the show. Stephen and Martin are a stone throwaway or any in Woking. They want to find a camping spot nearby. Lauren is still in Wales, more than 200 miles away. And she is spooked by the poster. And in Dartford, Mark and Karen talk to Dawn. Dawn claims that she's met Emily in Harvester and saw her looking upset and just, you know, was a good Samaritan, just lent her a phone. And Karen just calls her on her bullshit. She is lying, lying through her teeth. She is. But then she
2: denies going to Canterbury, which is just pointless, because why didn't she just say, yes, I went to Canterbury, I went to see my daughter yesterday, on my own.
0: Because that's the lead.
2: Yeah, but they were already getting the lead because they know her phone was there. So yes. They know her phone was there. If she says she wasn't there, surely that's more suspicious than saying, well, yeah, I visited my daughter, but as I mentioned, I only saw Emily in the pub a few days ago.
0: The lead is that her daughter lives there. That She doesn't know that HQ know that already. If she'd said that her daughter lives there and goes to uni there, then they find out who her daughter is. They find out where her daughter lives. They get a very pinpointed location whereas if she just says oh no i wasn't in uh, canterbury at all then at least they've got to do a little bit more digging to find out where in canterbury they were
2: Mm. Mm. i don't know i think it's more suspicious denying it although clearly you're allowed to just say i'm not helping you anymore
0: (laughs) so it's fine i like that (laughs) yeah it's suspicious but ultimately they can't beat the information out of her
1: like go you just don't say anything
0: yeah, she can be as completely and utterly unsubtle as she wants, in this series at least. She doesn't have to cooperate in the slightest. She can just be as vague as she wants, because she can get away with it. Whereas if she'd turned around and gone, oh yeah, my daughter lives there, then at least they would check out the daughter, if nothing else.
2: Yeah, I, don't, I don't think it makes a deal of difference. I think you might as well just... If you're going to go with the line that I only saw her in the pub the other day, then what you did yesterday with your phone doesn't matter, does it? Mm. No. It's more convincing, isn't
1: it? I don't think you two are going to agree, so stop talking now.
0: (laughs) It more depends whether you want to be a credible witness or not. If you want to be a credible accomplice to the hunters, then you obviously tell them that your daughter lives there. If you don't, then just lie or just be really vague with them because it's not going to kill you. Mm Mm-hmm. So Julie then makes the connection with Dawn having a daughter at Canterbury Christchurch University and the fact that some of the student accommodation for the university is in the area that Dawn's phone stops him. In turn, Simon then takes it one step further and finds Marnie's house. It is in the centre of the triangulation on their screen. Mark and Karen knock on the door but Emily's already on the move and Mark and Karen get to have a nice little chat with Marnie and Marnie's flatmate who I think Michelle probably hates.
1: (laughs) Oh my god. But I mean, God, 250 pounds, fifty pounds—it's quite a little bit of money for a uni student.
2: It is, for dobbing in someone you're never going to see again.
1: Yeah.
0: For once I was like,
2: yeah, fair play.
1: Yeah, same.
0: I thought it was quite interesting that the edit showed him being really mercenary with it, but then the hunters made it sound more like Marnie was being really mercenary, and that he was just kind of an accomplice on it.
2: Yeah, it definitely looked like it was him.
0: Yeah, it looked like it was him, but it sounded like it was her. It's weird that they were basically making it sound like she was completely innocent here. So yeah, Mark's tactic with them is basically claiming that Emily's a freeloader and doesn't care about any of the people she stays with, and, you know, 250 quid is a lot for a student. Hint, hint. (laughs) And I mean, you you know when she appears on the screen talking to the hunters. She's probably not going to help them. She has no incentive to actually help Emily, being real. No. She might get a bollocking off her mother if her mother's more loyal to Emily than she is, but, you know, she's a bit part in this. Yeah, but a week later, they'll be like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) She got away anyway. She made more money uh, on the run than Emily did. (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
1: (laughs) But I think if she would have got caught, then her mother might have been a little bit angry with her.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) So Emily is in Chillum and has learned to trust people, which is ironic after that last scene, which she never used to do and the flatmate Jack does sell her out, they're never going to see her again, so they might as well take the money. They find out that Emily needs to get to Surrey by Sunday, and as I said, it is portrayed as Jack being the snitch, but it seems that Marnie might have co-signed on it as well, because it's 125 quid each. Less than 24 hours of the hunt remain, and HQ try and drill down where in Surrey the extraction point will be. Toddington, being an aviator himself, wonders if it will be a private jet that they could all cram onto. Stephen and Martin are in the forest down the road from Fair Oaks Airport and meet David, who offers them a garden to camp in. They've travelled over 500 miles via bike and foot, doing a big old loop starting and ending in Willenhall. Lauren has hitchhiked 800 miles around the UK, now she is in Reading, less than an hour's drive from the airfield. And she's hoping Emily is still in the game too. Emily's travelled almost 1,400 miles across the length of England, staying 75 miles from the extraction point in a pub in Chillum. And with three hours left, HQ do a ring around of all the airfields to try and work out the extraction points. A flight manifest needs to be produced for each flight, so once HQ find one of the fugitives there, they know the location will be correct. Hunter teams are placed to dispatch at convenient locations to the airfields. And then we get something we don't normally see, and I know we've talked a little bit in this series about the camera people talking back, but Lauren gets a pep talk from her camera woman. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and she names her. It's very odd. George. Emily and Lisa family friends are driving to the final location, and Stephen and Martin share a hug.
1: How many airports are in Surrey?
0: It didn't look like that many, really, when they looked
2: on the map. And Surrey's not that big a place, it's not a huge county. It feels a bit weird that they got all of that information quite a long way in advance, and then when they got the passenger manifest, they still didn't have time to get there.
1: Yes, I thought it really strange. And also, the Thames runs through Surrey, so why isn't Black still on the boat track? Why have they suddenly switched to planes?
0: I don't know whether they probably exhausted everything with the boat track the previous day, and then thought, well, the other option is probably air, so we'll just apply for any air manifest we can in the morning. Hmm. Because I think it was an early start. We know they got in there before 9 o'clock in the morning because we saw more than three hours of the hunt remain. So I suspect they probably worked on Blex's hunch in day 27, tried to get all the passenger lists for any boats or or whatever, or ribs that were going down the Thames at 12 o'clock that day. Struck out and then thought, right, we'll try air the next day and that'll probably be the extraction method then.
1: But it is very strange why it took them so long to get to the airport.
0: Mm. It is very strange, but the key thing that we have to remember, and it's something we do say to people on the Facebook groups and on Twitter a lot, is we only see the stuff that is actually interesting for the programme. So we don't see all the legwork that the hunters do with Mm. all this stuff. We only see it when it pays off. Mm. So they could have spent 24 hours on the boat thing and then actually sacked it off when they realised that it was a non-starter. Yeah. They probably did, to be fair. So, yeah, with 29 minutes remaining, HQ get the manifest for Fair Oaks Airport's flight SYG-008, the correct flight that all four passengers are on. All ground hunters are dispatched to Fair Oaks, not that lots of them actually make it there, and Tonnington, being an aviator, says if it's a controlled airport, they can get the takeoff of the flight delayed not sure you can when the rules of the show are kind of at 12 o'clock that flight's taking off regardless
1: and mm. um, what does it mean by controlled airport um, i don't know because, like what does that mean is that con- mean controlled by the government or as in it's not a private one so they've got more um ability to do things
0: not sure i've not heard that i've just done a quick google Uh, A controlled airport has an air traffic control tower. Uh, Okay. So if they have air traffic controllers, then HQ can potentially ring up the air traffic controllers and go, yeah, can you stop this flight taking off, please? But because Fair Oaks doesn't, there's nothing they can do. Short of Mark and Karen standing in front of the plane, there's nothing they Mm. can do to stop that flight taking off.
1: But You would think they'd need to have an air traffic control tower to run an airport?
2: No, it's only a little airfield. There'd be like one flight taking off a day or what have you they just man it themselves don't they
0: yeah or pool it depending on what's nearby there might be there might be another air traffic control tower nearby that they can uh piggyback off if they need to that would be my kind of hunch on it so steven and martin are already wearing their gopros and they are in the back of a jeep Emily's wearing hers as well and is the first to run at Fair Oaks. Lauren is second to arrive and they meet up on the tarmac, conveniently running from opposite sides of a building. <laughs> they board the plane and embrace.
1: Oh my God, when they were running together, I actually got goosebumps again.
0: I'm like, oh my <laughs> it is God. Lovely. It
1: was so good.
0: It's lovely, but it's so contrived that they are on opposite sides yeah. of a building and run together. Yeah. Give me strength.
2: (laughs) They they clearly had a little bit of time before this flight was due to take off, didn't
0: they? Clearly someone at the airport said to Lauren and Emily, just wait back one second. And Emily had to wait for five minutes by the side of the building and then was told, right, we're ready for you to run now. And (laughs) then she got surprised by Lauren being there. It's so contrived that they run together hand in hand. (laughs) Well, they tried to get
1: hand in hand. But yeah
0: it was good <laughs> obviously i'm not completely stone-hearted it, it is a really lovely moment especially as we've grown especially in this episode to uh, to love both of them but it's just so contrived going oh they conveniently managed to arrive at exactly the same time even though one of them was 75 miles away today
1: <laughs>
0: and then steven and martin arrive and make their run for it emily and lauren see them arrive and they also board the plane mark and karen arrive at the airport and then they find out it is an uncontrolled airport, the plane takes off, and we have our first four winners of Hunted. Yay. And HQ are pretty despondent. Yeah, but would they have expected to get
2: a clean sweep? I don't think this show was ever going to have a clean sweep, was it?
0: No, I, I don't think in, in a first series like this, or even in a, a documentary, even if you'd planned this as a one-off, I don't think they were intending on everyone getting caught because i don't think that'd make a satisfying ending no i don't think you have enough legwork done to make the clean sweep ending work like obviously as we've discussed at length it does happen eventually but it lands so much better in series four when that does happen because everyone did the legwork in series one to three or series one to four episode five to make it actually a satisfying ending and satisfying that HQR competent enough to make it work.
2: And and the whole mm. narrative of this series is that it's the balance between privacy and convenience and you know,
0: there might be all
2: this surveillance, but actually there's still an element of freedom. It would be really weird if they'd caught everybody.
0: Yeah, purely from the documentary remit, I think you always have at least one winner. I'm not sure whether they're intending on it being four, but I think you always have at least one winner, regardless of how this series plays out. And and clearly they'd always intended that Ricky was going to be one of the
2: winners. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think looking back on this as we are doing now, I think they were quite surprised that Ricky didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> Given he was probably the big name of the 14 people cast. Yeah. Tangentially, at least. I think they were quite yes. surprised when he gave up after 19 days. <laughs> and I'm using that term deliberately. He did give up.
1: Um, when I was watching it last night, my daughter came through the room and said, how do you think you would go? And I said, I really don't know. Obviously, they can't do it in Australia, but um, I really have no idea how I would go because I've never done camping. I don't think I'd like it too much, but I don't know how I'd go. I actually, like, how do you think you'd go, Aunt? I'd be okay with the camping stuff.
2: I think the the anxiety and paranoia would get to me quite quickly. I think I'd just, I I don't think I'd enjoy it for long enough to make it worthwhile. I think within a day I'd just be so paranoid I'd be like, screw this, I'm going home.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I've said this a few times. I would obviously never do hunted. I would be utterly miserable for 99% of the time that I was on the run (laughs) because I don't do camping. It's a running joke in my family that I will not stay anywhere less than three stars. I wouldn't do well with being on the run, generally. I wouldn't do well with the paranoia. But also the other element of this for us is the fact that I know full well as soon as my picture goes on that board, every hunter in HQ will put every resource on stopping me winning and making me a day one capture just to prove that I know nothing. There is not a doubt in my mind that they would do that. hundred percent. Because we are so... Not even well known amongst the hunters, but because we are so kind of parallel to the show in our own special way, there's no way that they would let us get anywhere near victory on this show. Yeah, I, I genuinely,
2: I don't think I, I, just don't think I'd be able to do it. I really don't. I think it's, mm. and actually rewatching this series has convinced me even more of how mentally tough you'd need to be to do it.
0: I just don't think I'd be yeah. able to get through it. I think I'd hate the experience and I think that everyone watching me would hate me being on it, being honest.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good.
0: How would you do on it, Michelle?
1: I just don't know. I mean, I don't think the paranoia would get to me. I, I think I'd be fine with that. It's just the knowing where to hide and moving around. I'd be so like, oh, damn, they want me to ring home. Why the hell do they want me to ring home? <laughs> they want me to go to an ATM? Seriously?
0: Oh, I think of the three of us, you would probably be at least the most entertaining on the run. <laughs>
1: <Yeah. laughs> oh God. You would
0: get a horrendous edit purely because of how much you'd pissed off production going, why do I have to do this?
1: <laughs> you know, I would. I'd question every damn thing.
0: I know the rules say this, but why?
1: <laughs> and I don't need money. What do I need money for? I'm not going to a damn ATM.
0: <laughs> this is stupid.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh.
0: So then, just because it's a documentary, we get the final speech from Chief Brett Lovegrove saying the state isn't perfect, but it keeps ticking over regardless. He gets more lines in the last five minutes than he does in oh about four episodes. Yes. I don't know why we'd never see him again. He's all right, isn't he? Yeah, he's solidly okay, but I think they probably realised pretty quick that he's not nearly as entertaining as certain people in the uh the HQ. Not mentioning your names, Peter Blexley.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Cause I actually wrote on, where's the chief? And then he was literally in the next five seconds. So I crossed <laughs> it off again.
2: <laughs> I would love to have seen what had happened though if more than nine people had made it to the extraction point, because it's only a nine seater plane. Was it only nine? Because I was trying to work it out. It looked like it was only four. No, it's a nine-seater. It's a it's a King Air B two hundred with um, number GWNCH, which is based at Fair Oaks Airport. is a nine-seater, and it comes with iPod and hi fi speakers, sat phone, and airshow. It's a
0: very well, posh then. plane. It's got an espresso coffee machine. Ooh, very posh. Really?
1: That's uh, very
0: strange. Because uh, <laughs> the nine seats would include the filming crew as well yeah yes yeah. yeah max passengers nine so
2: actually yeah you could have only had i don't know
0: five winners
1: you could have had three teams yeah do
0: you think they would have upgraded the plane if um more people had actually been on the run at that point i, I
2: would imagine so i'm i'm not sure that the plane was an integral part of the
0: season from the beginning Would they have put a second plane on and gone, no, you go to that plane, you go to this plane?
2: (laughs) You get on this one, you wait over there, wait for the next one.
0: (laughs) And they get caught while they're waiting for the plane. (laughs) If there's more than four people there, you just have another airport in Scotland where another four people have got to go.
2: Remember they'd have like a board where you have to sign up and you, you guys are on the first plane, you guys are on the second plane. And then hours of operation kick in, and then
0: that's it. The whole thing's screwed. And then Doug takes a fast Mm -hmm. forward and, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So my final question here is, what effect did this series have on series two and onwards, do you think?
1: Uh, They made them tighten up their um, rules of having to... Do certain things so that they wouldn't be totally lost with, like, that they were with um, Stephen and Martin, not being able to find them. They made them do things. So that was one thing.
2: Yeah. I think bringing it under the remit of a game rather than a documentary as well, so that there was a little bit more rigor about what they could and couldn't do.
0: Yeah. I think the editing also is is the big change. Obviously we saw a little bit of in this episode. This one did feel a little bit more like a Series 2 onwards episode. But so much of the editing changes, and so much of the storytelling changes. You would never see some of the storytelling that we see in this series ever again on Hunted. Because they did really let quite a few of these participants down. Pretty much nobody except Ricky and the Final Four got any sort of storyline in this series no no one other than those five people lasted more than an episode Mm.
1: and also having a having prize money would mean someone like um ricky allen wouldn't just suddenly quit i think having the prize money is more incentive to try harder
2: yeah agree but yeah the the storytelling is just bonkers on this you know you're absolutely right there are people that were robbed of air time particularly Adam, was really robbed of airtime. He did fantastically well and just came across as a bumbling doomsday prepper who got caught really quick. And that's not the truth at all.
0: No, as much as we obviously love to take the piss out of Adam's mental family, he was actually really good. Yeah. No one else was going to sit in a tree for six hours to evade the Hunters, even though they knew roughly where he was. Like, no one else has that commitment, and yet they make him out to be a complete doofus.
2: Mm.
0: <laughs> but yeah of the first nine people got in this series zero of them last more than one episode even though some of them lasted till 18 days into the hunt yeah Weird.
1: very strange
0: and thankfully that does change obviously we do love the the more recent series for stuff like that there's certain things that we don't love them for and we do occasionally not mentioning their name's michelle Ran a lot about certain things in uh, in more recent series. But <laughs> it's been really interesting going back to watch this series. I'm glad we did it, finally. Yeah, finally.
2: I am. I, I'm glad we did it, because it, it was such a different series when it came out that it's quite interesting watching it with that hindsight of seeing where the story goes over the next few series.
0: Yeah, and there was so much of this that we'd forgotten. Mm. I mean, some of these episodes were complete blank spaces for me in terms of my memory of them. Some things came back very quickly, but a lot of them... Like, I didn't remember Freddie and Jackie at all.
2: <laughs> I didn't remember... i oh I've God, I've forgotten their names now. The, the couple that got married. Adam and Emma? Yeah, Adam and Emma. I'd completely forgotten they existed.
0: Yeah, I think in any other series, Freddie and Jackie probably would have been made out to be a Sandra and Elizabeth, even though they lasted a week. But the problem is their story is so intertwined with two other teams that they just told it badly and made them even more forgettable. Have you guys got anything else you want to say? No. No, no, but the
2: completest in me is now satisfied. (laughs) So that's good. (laughs) We've now covered every episode that's ever aired. That's cool.
0: This time next year, Celebrity Hunted. (laughs) Me. That is not a firm commitment. I have one more thing to say, and it's weird saying this in June, but happy birthday, Ant, for next Tuesday. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Oh, God.
0: 50 again, isn't it? 50 again for about
2: the fourth time, but you'll only be able to do it one more time. So there you go. (laughs) Oh, no, I
0: won't. As I've told you before, I'm going to do every year apart from the year you're 50. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it works. (laughs) But yeah, I did work out that this episode will come out, I think it's four days before your birthday. (laughs) Wow. Time flies. I had to quickly check exactly when, what date your birthday was because I knew it was uh, roughly around this, and I'm like, oh yes, it's within the <laughs> time frame. I can get away with it. <laughs> so, thank you for listening to our hunted recaps all series long. We'll be back next year for series six, assuming that it's actually being filmed when this comes out. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or You can emails and contact us at rtvwarriors.com Anthony's on Twitter at BullsBoy. Michelle is three 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 three, and I'm MJ Helmstone. We'll see you next year for more Hunted podcasts. But for this series, your time in the run is over. See you later. Reasonably stereo. I'm proud.